to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N Tulsa.org. We will be looking at um, this idea of what matters most or kind of this idea of faithfulness. Just a good time. Every January, I try to take some time through the month of January to, to have two to three sermons just as that uh, time when people kind of maybe are remembering, maybe through the season of Advent, if they've been in church, or if they're uh, maybe it's people that have um, come and started coming back to church, been out for a while, um, uh, having those reminders, just a good time of year to maybe for some people to to think through um, what is it that truly matters the most. So um, instead of just focusing on um, New Year's resolutions or something like that, and those those are not evil or bad or anything like that. Sometimes they're very helpful for people. But to go a little bit deeper than just you know, hey, what what could my body look like in you know March or April if I really really hit the gym hard, or what could our finances really really be like if I, if we're able to just save and save and save and save for these next four or five months or what what could our um, next trip be like or instead of those things just thinking through and what really matters most uh, some of the core things and so um, what does faithfulness look like um, it's a natural time to kind of push reset for a lot of people to recalibrate and maybe hopefully uh, remember to, to just pause and remember to think back, and we've come through Advent, and um, it's a natural time to think through, and, and we know that God has kind of set out for us uh, kind of that number one, the most important um, commandment, uh, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so I think if that's number one for God, January 1, January 2, the first week would be a good time to really just think through starting out a new year. If God says that kind of matters most to him, how well is my heart aligning with that? So I think it's a natural time to do that. Um, is that number one for me? Um, do I know how I can grow in that maybe? I think there's a lot of believers, a lot of people in churches that that really do desire to know the Lord more. They really do desire to experience the Lord more. Um, and sometimes they're, they're even going about certain things and, and they're trying to serve. They're, they're trying to be it small group, they're trying to be semi-consistent at, at church service, but but it seems like it's just flat. It seems like that there's just distance between them and the Lord. And so um, I want to give at the end of this day and this idea of maybe just some very, very simple um, ideas of what may um, allow some growth to happen, um, some things that, that, that must take place. Um, for true growth to happen. Um, we're going to talk about at the end some of those kind of spiritual disciplines um, or those practices that, that may just open the environment for God to grow us more steadily, for God to mature us uh, even more experientially. And so you don't have to be afraid of that word experiential. So some people some people just want to make it just an intellectual faith, just, just, just based on intellect and knowledge points and really afraid of anything experiential, especially anything to do with the emotions. And you've got some people who are all about just the goosebumps. They, they believe church service is just all about the goosebumps and really doesn't matter what we believe 
believe? Can't we all just love Jesus and get along? And so um, we, we see through the Scriptures that, that the beautiful truths and realities of God um, lead to beautiful, deep emotions and expressions of those emotions. So, so kind of think through where you're at on that. But a new year brings up that opportunity for new gospel opportunities. If we're thinking through the idea that we want to be um, a faithful gospel presence um, in, in just in my own life, in my own family, um, in, in the, the workplace that God has you in, a faithful gospel presence as a person um, where, where you live and where you work and where you play, where you seek entertainment, the people around your life, a faithful gospel presence, as well as um, a local body trying to figure out how can we be a faithful gospel presence in a particular area in a particular time. So um, we have that opportunity before us, and I have it as a slide up there, kind of this big idea. We can either have um, a year of growing faithfulness or a year of empty idolatry. Now, no one would just say... I'm going to make my choice today. I think I'll choose the empty idolatry. Like no one just says that. I mean, well, some of us may. And so you may do that for, you know, from week to week. But, but really, I think that most people, believers in the church, go, oh, yes, I, I want to grow in faithfulness. We don't plan on that idea of empty idolatry. So we're going to look, we're going to kind of walk through this idea. And I had three main points, just three main words, really. If you come from a Baptist or Assembly of God, you may really appreciate this. They all start with D, if you notice. And so that, that's about 60% of seminary is how you can make all your sermons fit with a big word that starts with the same letter. And so um, for the first one is just desire, this idea of desire. And then secondly, deception. And then third, determine. So we're going to think through this idea of a, a year of growing faithfulness or a year of empty idolatry. So first, just looking at there's this desire, and we're going to talk about how God actually placed that desire in us. But at the same time, God gives us warnings about the temptation of deception, that we're very, very easily deceived to where we end up with a desire to pursue God and faithfulness and to experience more of God. But then through deception, we end up in empty idolatry. And if there's ever a place and ever in the history of the world that we can find ourselves empty deception, it, it is where we live. Um, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't mean the things around us are evil. It means that our hearts attach to them so much hope and so much desire for fulfillment, and they just weren't made to fulfill. They weren't made to satisfy to that degree. And so then that should lead us to this idea of I want to be determined. So you see on the back end of that, there's man's responsibility. So a, a year in growing faithfulness or a year in um, empty idolatry. Um, and that, that, that doesn't mean that I'm trying to um, have longer quiet times, do my quiet times better so God can see, hey, I did 10 minutes extra this week every day. God, do you love me more? Am I more approved of? Am, am I closer to you because I'm doing these things better? It's not checking more boxes or more lists to earn God's acceptance because we know that Jesus in his righteousness, his imputed righteousness that you could never earn or do anything to deserve, that he is the one who placed you. God is the one who placed you close to him. 
It's not what you've done. Now, we definitely can do things when we just deliberately go on sinning that that puts a distance in our relationship with him if you're a believer. And so we, we want to be people who are faithful in obedience. We want to be faithful in growing and pursuing him. Um, Jesus and his reconciliation work, that, that's what earned that already. So what happened there, God has already provided the space. So think of it as this, this room. God has placed you in the room. You couldn't have knocked on the door to get in. You wouldn't have wanted to get in. But he has placed you in the room of righteousness. You can't add to that room. It's not, you're not going to get closer to God. You're not going to impress God. You're not going to prove to God through better quiet times or a better selection of the songs that you listen to or the, the version of the Bible that you read or the way that you parent your kids or all those things. That's not going to make a better list. And you're stacking up your little post-it notes to God of, I love you, I love you, I love you. Do you see me, God? And, and we sometimes think that way. And, and again, that really is just the empty idol of self. Self-righteousness. We don't realize it, but that, that's me going, hey, God, look at me, look at me, look at me. And that's just an empty out because you were definitely never made to fulfill yourself, even though the world tells us you can find your fulfillment in that. So he created the room, and then he provided the acceptance based on, and, and so I'm sorry, he provided the acceptance already. So then based on what God has done, is it enjoyable to sit with him in the room? He provided the room. He provided your provision to be in the room, acceptance, reconciliation, closeness to God. Is it enough and is it enjoyable to be with him in that space? Um, so this idea of flourishing. What if this year was a year of spiritual flourishing for our own souls, but also for the sake of the city and also for the glory of God. So I have this, uh, these two lifelines um, that I have. And so um, the lifelines, um, one shows, the top line shows this idea. This is two complete different paradigms. The top line shows my life and my goals. And then you see what we do as believers. This option is, God, will you come and bless my job, bless my life, Bless us in prosperity. Bless us in, in, in all the things that we do for you, God, to help me accomplish my goals and my plans. So what we're doing there, we're kind of taking God, sticking him in our back pocket, and Christianizing Sankey's life trajectory. So that, that's one way, and, you can, and that's a real popular way to do that. The other paradigm is that actually it's, it's God's redemptive plan that's been going on since the fall, since the garden. And in that, we, we've learned through Scripture God's beautiful redemptive plan fulfilled in what Christ has accomplished in the gospel. And then we know his end goals, that, that we've talked a lot about this in St. Corinthians. It's not just a beautiful place with better sunsets than, than Pasadena, California. It's not a place with better oceans and better fishing and just being reunited with grandma and grandpa. No, God himself is what makes heaven eternally satisfying. God himself, not, not just the things up in heaven, it's God himself. God with us, Emmanuel, was what God was trying to show us a glimpse of. This is what is eternal life, being together with God. What was the tabernacle? What was the temple? God's presence with us. That's what God was wanting to give them. 
But um, that's where our sin brings in this, this idea of deception, and we need something to overcome that. And so in God's redemptive plan, we know God's end purposes, his end goals. And so on that second line down there, you see, all I'm trying to do is join my life, asking the question, hey, God, what would it look like for me to align my life? to align everything I'm living for to fit in with your eternal purposes. Jesus said, I've come and the kingdom is here now. How can I align my life with the kingdom in a world that seems desperately opposed to him? And so um, in that, those are, those are two huge um, different styles of Christianity, two very distinct paradigms with 10,000 decisions and implications in a year's time. So think through that. Um, Are you looking at life that first line? Hey, God, will you come and bless this and this and this because I have these goals and these desires, and here's what I want to happen. Will you come and bless this? Now, I'm not saying that's wrong. They say, God, we're, we're doing this job. We're doing this thing. We're, we're, here's what we're doing with life. You've called us to this. Says, God, will you bless it? That's not wrong. But if that's all you ever see, and you never are seeing that you're a little dot fitting into God's overall redemptive plan, and it may end in a car wreck this afternoon. It may end with a doctor's diagnosis this month. And, and, and then all of a sudden, that big lifeline of yours is really shaped a lot differently. You're, you're a vapor. And so your life is just, just a mist that's here for a short time. And so you want to make that matter in the sake of God's kingdom. And so um, those are two different things. So let's look at this first one, just desire. Um, the desire to want to be near God. So uh, I'm starting in Psalm 16, 11, and we're just going to look at this um, idea of, of the biggest idea I could say would be that, that of loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So we see in Psalm 16, 11 where he says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So in that, um, notice what he's saying. So there's this idea of searching for satisfaction that, that God's placed there. Um, in the first little statement there, you make known to me the path of life. I think that we tend to look at it like those, those two lines that we just saw. I think we say, here's Sankey's path of life. God, would you come and bless it? Here's what I want to do in my life trajectory. God, your role is to make that happen and to make me happy along the way, keeping out the things that would harm that, harm us, and making it as comfortable and as fulfilling as you possibly could. And so um, what if it's not this already determined plan that you had? What if it's actually God saying, hey, in, in coming to know you, there's this path of life that you're going to make me aware of. It, it's countercultural. It, it's counterintuitive. That in finding you, God, there's a path that may, may not look like a straight line. It definitely doesn't look like just an upward tra- trajectory. Um, it, it, it may be God showing us that in finding God himself, then he's the one who begins to re- reveal, here's what your path is looking like. So it's not just this simple cut thing. Oh, I become a Christian, and now all of life works out. I'll just be a really good person, and all of life works out. Because for most people, that's not the way it works out. So um, 
the, the next statement he says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. So think through that. Um, what brings fullness of joy? He says, in your presence. So that fits in with what we've been saying, that heaven is going to be surrounded by, I mean, we're going to be uh, in the presence of God. So heaven is God as the focal point. What brings fullness of joy? Being in your presence. And then at your right hand, pleasures forevermore. Would you say that's what characterized your walk this last year? Would you describe it as pleasures forevermore? Would you describe it as fullness of joy? And I think if most people would just be honest, um, it's kind of like in small group. You, you can have either small group where people are like, no, really, here's what's going on with us. Or the person's like, yes, just it's just fullness of joy. You're like, well, it seems like your life's being torn apart. Nope, just fullness of joy. Well, it seems like really like you're, you're desperately depressed and all these things. Nope, just fullness of joy because the rule says we're fullness of joy. So that's two different types of small groups, right? And so in that, have you experienced degrees of fullness of joy? Is, is, is it enjoyable? I think that that's one of the things that um, many people would say, man, that, that's a difficulty. Is that our experience? Is there, is there something life-giving going on? Um, if, we, if we use this illustration, of, think of Disneyland. Right, so Disneyland, and, and we said, and, and this is a weak comparison, obviously, but um, and I'm not a big fan of Disneyland, so it's really weak in my mind, um, and so it's like a parent's purgatory. So um, Disneyland, in Disneyland, is fullness of joy. Well, if you're a person like me who's more of a realist, some people call that a pessimist, but a realist would say, well, but I mean, fullness of joy, really? I mean, I see it over there, and I see all that's going on. I see the commercials, and I see all that stuff. Um, but also, isn't there a lot of lines? Isn't there a lot of walking? Isn't there a lot of heat? Isn't there a lot of kids puking all over the sidewalk and still standing in lines? Isn't there lots of fees? And then and there's also lots of costs, and the food's really expensive. Like, that doesn't sound like fullness of joy to me. So, so what do I do? I refrain from putting myself in that room of Disneyland. So do you see what we do in the same way? Uh, if, if I'm afraid to even go and experience that, but I'm just saying, well, it's probably not actually very joyful, I don't allow myself to be let down with all those things. And sometimes I think that we treat God the same way. Have you really learned to be in his presence, scheduling him as a priority to, to even scratch the surface on what fullness of joy, no matter what the circumstances are out there. And I think a lot of believers in the church go, okay, it's January, let, let's, let, let's really, I got this little devotional book I got on Amazon, and day one, you know, January 1st, January 2nd, January 3rd, and then, and then that's about it. It trails off because life hits. And so we don't experience this fullness of joy. What if we found out that actually he's not lacking, but really we're just in an age of distraction? And really, our hearts are just uninterested. So you can see this idea of either faithfulness, growing in faithfulness, or how our hearts go, well, actually, I'm kind of disinterested, and then also, I'm very distracted, so I'm going to pick up these things that are much easier than sitting in His presence in aloneness. 
We're not an age that handles that very well. So we, we know that God believes he is the most worthy object in the universe. Look at, um, this is uh, another slide that I've got is Deuteronomy 6. Going way back, to, so this is the original great commandment. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in the house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as the frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And so uh, for the Israelites, they memorized all of this. And this was a literal um, steps of action that they would do. Um, and they would dress themselves this way. They would they would teach this way. They would do all of these things. Um and when we're looking at something like this, God's saying, I am, am the most worthy thing to live for. And, and you, because you experience that and find joy in that, the natural thing would be wanting to have me as the center of every day. And so you kind of rearrange your life and you rearrange your, your, your schedule to where you're like God is in the middle of you doing all these other things. So he's saying, I'm not just a, a one time a week thing where you hear about me. You're, you should be talking about me and my graces and, and the gifts that I've given, but also just me as the giver all through the week, wherever you're going, things that you're doing. I remember being when we were little and the little, our boys, we would drive past these fields in Tahlequah and, um, and they would, you know, the boys were learning different animals and stuff and they would, they would kind of recite. That you know, God's the one who made those. You know, it, then you, they get a little bit older, and they're not so amazed by cows or horses in a pasture. So you get, trying to get a little more creative, and so it doesn't take long to where um, then 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 they're really seeing like, oh, these other things are really competing with, with this Creator. These other things are seem so quickly satisfying and so quickly gratifying compared to the invisible Creator. And God knew that that was a tendency that our hearts have. That's that second part, deception. And so, but He was saying, "Bring me out as the as the most important thing to live for." Um, it should always be understood that when we're talking about um, these ideas of this grace-oriented way of living, that obedience and faithfulness is always the given. So, so this talks about um, teaching them diligently to your children. Um, these words I command you shall be on your heart. Remember we've seen in Ezekiel and Jeremiah where God has placed that inside of us now. It's not some external list that we're looking up to the list and going, oh yeah, we've got to do these things. It's no, he's changed us first and enabled us so that you will be able to walk in my statute. So that's what happens with Ezekiel 36 and Jeremiah in the new covenant. So um, as we're looking at these ideas, God believes abiding in him and his presence, um, him being with us, it, it's the greatest thing for us. He provided the temple, the sacrifices to be in his presence, God with us, and eventually Jesus. Um, so loving, experiencing, being captivated in Christ, the fullness of God is what's best for you. So in that, just wanting to be faithful in that room that he's provided, um, God is the central focus of the whole passage. Jesus keeps that same mindset going in Matthew 22 in the Great Commandment when he's asked, you know, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and this is the great and first commandment. And, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And we're going to look about, we're going to look at that next week. Um, the, the, the tie in of the great commandment to the great commission and what that looks like. But this week, just looking at, um, 
Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The same thing that you heard in Deuteronomy. The same thing that Psalm 16, 11 was talking about. That God is this thing, this, this object to be focused on and to live for. And if, if we go way, way back to Exodus 20, in the Ten Commandments, all the way back, God wants us to see, here's where we tie in, begin to tie in this idolatry. So in the middle of God telling us, I'm the greatest thing to live for, he also says, you shouldn't have these other things that are going to tempt you. So in uh, Exodus chapter 20, it says in verse 2, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So we read over that as Americans and we don't really even understand that. People that are refugees right now would understand that a little bit more. The Israelites at that time definitely understood. They knew what it was like to be under oppression, enslaved for years and years. Um, we, we really don't really picture that very well. That, that's hard for us to get in that mindset. But that's a, that's a big deal when you've been brought out. And he says, I brought you out of that, out of the house of slavery. And we know that we tie that in to God's picture of God redeeming us from sin, a slavery to sin. And so that picture of Egypt and being brought out. Um, he says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness or anything that is in heaven above or that's in the earth beneath or that's in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. So number one and number two in the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. And number two, you shall not make for yourself an idol. So um, we have this opportunity of growing faithfulness or pursuing empty idolatry. So thinking through, what does empty idolatry look like? Um, God sets before us this beautiful idea of of what matters most in his mind. He should be the the most paramount thing that we live for. But then he brings into the context, just know. He he was wise enough. He knew that that there were going to be those temptations. And why is that? Um, In the midst of that, he gives us this warning about these temptations, these, these idols. Although we should, I'm sorry, Idolatry is is a hard thing. The reason that, that God brings us in the context there is because he hardwired us for worship. We know that, that he's the one who hardwired us to want to attach our heart to something. He want he knew that there were going to be beautiful things that we were going to want and desire. He just knew that he wanted to be completely in another category all by itself. He knew that we were going to see beautiful objects that we would want to possess, uh, people that we want to be a part of, um, relationships that we would want to put all of ourselves into, um, homes, um, possessions, places, um, even just mindsets, even things like just a mindset of success. A mindset of power, a mindset of authority, a mindset of control, even those things are so desirous. There's a lot of people who could care less about the money. They've got so many billions. That doesn't matter, but being the powerful person at the top of that. They've got more money that they could spend, but for them to fall in power, to be brought down, that's what they fear because control or power is what their idol can be. So we see this idea of deception. Um, God not not only knows this about us, He's the one who put this desire for worship inside of us. Um, It's that there would be something completely meaningful and satisfying that our souls would truly attach to and find their ultimate satisfaction in. 
So although we should first have this desire of worship, and in God saying, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, there's a warning of deception that comes along. He forewarns us about deception. But what if we don't realize and we never see that we're being deceived? What, what if we're not aware of how easily we're deceived? Um, it'd be like in the Disneyland uh, picture. You, you don't even, you've heard about the Disneyland thing, but on your way to Disneyland, you take the first right and you end up in Mazio's parking lot and you're in that little game room at Mazio's with the sticky floor and all, I mean, it, it's 10 times worse than Corona in there. And so that you end up there and you go, man, this is Disneyland. And it's like, no, you, you missed it completely. And you don't even realize you've been deceived. This is not the thing that's promising all this joy, you're in a Mazio's game game room. It's nasty and dirty, but but you thought, oh, this is it. This is as good as it gets. It's deception. And sometimes that Mazio's game room, that's a car for us. That that's this vacation for us. Because if I just can get there, I can just escape, and all the problems will go away. It, it, maybe it's just if I can ever get financially to this one place. Maybe it's a relationship. If, if our relationships were just like this. And so this is where this deception comes in. In um, Jeremiah 2, God gets very, very clear on these subtle substitutes. He says, be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. So some pretty strong language. He doesn't do that a lot, right? For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, number one, the fountain of living waters. And secondly, they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So God doesn't often make these bold, bold declarations that are so in your face, like you should be shocked, people. Um, again, I don't think that we make a deliberate decision to set God aside or to intentionally place God outside of central. I don't think that we plan it. But but you see what happens here. He's saying that what they've done is they've set me aside. They've forsaken me. I, I don't think that they stated it out loud. Like, hey, let's all drop God together. Let's all do without God together. I think they assume that God is still great to them. But yet what do they do? They, they, they start making man-made creations. So we see that that tendency in us, and what you're doing, anytime you're doing a man-made creation, you're playing God. That's what, he's the creator. And we're going, nope, I want to be creator. I want to have these man-made creations, man-made possessions, man-made ideas that I'm going to seek my goals, I'm going to pursue this. And we're, we've created something that we're pursuing. And it's just us trying to play God. Um, things that cannot and were not made to hold our fulfillment, to bring fullness of joy, to, to bring rest to your soul. They don't have the capacity. He's saying, so here I am, God. They've forsaken me, the true living fountain of living water that Jesus talked about, and they've done away with that. I, I don't think that we would be stupid enough to do that on purpose. But remember, God's talking, showing us you're, you're deceived. You're trying to pursue these other things. Um, I think we easily end up there. Does anyone experience that? Realize that? And sometimes even when you're busy with church stuff, 
um, busy in, in, in living your life as a Christian. We know the heart doesn't get attached to things that we hate, right? Your heart doesn't get attached to things. Like there's some clinical psychosis going on if, if you're getting attached to things you hate. So be wise to know that, that the things that, that we're going to be attached to are things that are going to bring different levels of pleasure. And so that's what happens. Something that brings some pleasure turns into idolatry. You begin to try to just just um, ring out and, and, and squeeze out more and more pleasure until I've got to have more and more and more out of this thing that was never meant to create that kind of pleasure. Um, and so that's why for, for some people, um, I remember when I was in my early 20s or even teens, always wanting something, but in my early 20s, um, like a vehicle. And so a certain truck I wanted. And so I went on, on the car lot thinking, hey, I, I'd like to buy about a $15,000 truck. And this guy, like, he literally pushes this button, and it's like, beep, beep, beep. And, like, no one had, back then, no one had alarms on their vehicle. And then we get inside it. It has a phone. It, has one. it wasn't the bag phone, because those were really cool. And um, it wasn't the bag phone. It was the one that was stationed in there. And so um, as we, we get in there, I'm looking around. This thing had, like, a, an eight-player CD. Um, and if we could go back to CDs, life would be so wonderful. And so it was an eight-player CD that had a remote control into the dash. And so this is like $30,000. Well, I went in wanting to look at 15000 I didn't get out of that truck. Like, I think they just brought the paperwork to the side after I test drove it, and I just signed it like right there on the spot. And so I'm paying like four ninety for this truck payment. And then I remember after, you know, I'd wash it and clean it and get in. It felt so good riding in it. And, and a guy that was, uh, he was a, one of my other supervisors at UPS with me, we would pull up to stoplights. And uh, again, like no one, there's no cell phones, right? And so world was great. And he would, we'd be sitting at stoplights. And if attractive girls put it beside us, he would pull up the phone and start talking on the phone like he was like talking to someone, you know? And so I would just like roll down the window like, hey, he's not talking to anyone. That's not even plugged up. He's just doing that for your sake. And so it just, you know, this, he, would, he would try to like, he'd shut up and get mad. And so this, this truck looked incredible, except you know what? It's a truck. It's got rubber tires. It's made of metal and plastic. And for $500 a month, it's sitting between two white lines in a parking lot. The other 99% of my life was not lived inside that truck. And even if you want to go with the false um, pride of trying to impress girls because you've got a, a phone in your car, well, that wouldn't last very long, right? And so um, all that is just empty idolatry and thinking that this would be it. And then me going, man, I'm paying this much for this thing that I don't live in that doesn't bring all this satisfaction. It takes me from point A to point B. That's all a vehicle became to me. And so God ripped me of this idol to where now you guys see uh, that truck I was driving back then is probably newer than the, the vehicle I drive now because the vehicles to me are just point A to point B. And I know some people are like, oh, I'm more of a car person. I understand that. That's fine. I don't think it's real wise, uh, even if you're a billionaire, to go, hey, I'm going to spend this amount of money on this thing, you know, $300,000 on this thing when this one for even 60 or 50 or 40 or 80 gets you from A to B the same, right? So I don't know it's the wisest thing, but still people do that. God ripped that idol from me and was like, you spend time waxing and shining and cleaning this up and that's all it's doing is getting from A to B. And so you may have other things that, that, that those are in your life that you're going, why am I so captivated by this thing that really is not ultimately fulfilling? In fact, one wreck, and there goes your idol. One, one you know, change in job, there goes your idol. 
And so, and all those things, it's very seductive. They're very subtle, these things. And that's what God's warning us about. Um, on idolatry, um, there, there's different people that have landed through the centuries on some different types of idols. Um, here, here's what Timothy Keller says on, um, on this idea of idols. He says, uh, why do we lie or fail to love or break our promises or live selfishly? Of course, the general answer is because we are weak and sinful. But the specific answer is that there is something besides Jesus Christ that we feel we must have to be happy something that is more important to our heart than God, something that is enslaving our heart through inordinate desires. So here, here's four big ones, and you can probably look through these. There's, there's a ton of them, but here, here's some that are, that are pretty popular. Power idolatry, approval idolatry, comfort idolatry, control idolatry. So um, those are huge categories of idols. So, so this idea, I would finally feel truly, truly success, successful in life if, fill in the blank. So think through, husband, wife, single person, even, even youth. I would truly feel successful in life if, fill in the blank. I would feel so truly loved if, Fill in the blank. I would finally be happy enough if I just had fill in the blank. I would feel so secure as long as I'm able to. So do you notice? So answer those questions, think through those, and then you can probably see, man, here's some idols that are deceiving me. I'm actually pursuing some of those things without realizing it. And sometimes we have forsaken God, just like Jeremiah told us. And we've hewed out Sankey, viewed as successful. Sankey, obtaining this, it would finally be so... I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, of course, God, Jesus, the cross, all that stuff, yeah. Forgiveness, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but really, this... Do you see the deception that happens in our heart? Yeah. I, I know Jesus did all that stuff. I know he died on the cross, but... This would bring me, and that's what we do. So you see these very easily turn into empty, deceptive idols. Um, I've got a whole list. There's a ton. Um, like, I'm able to get mastery over my life. I'd be completely fulfilled and happy if I were able to get mastery over my life in the area of fill in the blank. You ever feel that way? If I could just, I thought this parenting thing would go better, or I thought this business thing would go, or I thought this relationship, this marriage thing would go, and if I, if I could just master this, life would be, oh, control. If you had it under your control, just like you wanted it, you would be sitting at the floor worshiping that God of control. And God's going, you don't see it, but I see it. So remember earlier I said, what if we're deceived and we don't even realize it? You're sitting in the Mazio's greasy, yucky um, video game area, and Disneyland's out there. So all these different types of idols, God warned us about these deceptions. It may be even just... So, so let's think through this. Um, a good day and bad day in spirituality. If we're thinking through the idea of... Uh, now, we, we've understood we should have this desire for God, but there's these deceptions. 
Well, now we're, let's go to the practical level of you wake up and let's have good spiritual day, right? So I'm going to be a good Christian, grow spiritually. Uh, you wake up in kind of a worshipful mood, just, you know, feel good, beautiful day. Definitely not, you know, one degrees out and miserable. Um, had an extended time maybe with God. He had, you know, no rushed things. And so got into God's word and just it seemed to really make sense. And also time to kind of fit in what you read, the little verses, fit in with some big areas that were facing, that you were facing in life. Maybe some deeper thoughts were evoked by some 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 YouTube worship or something. You had a deep, meaningful interaction with loved one. You had this conversation with this loved one where you thought, oh, I, we've been needing to talk about that for a long time. And so it's just God is doing all these beautiful things. On top of that, man, good things at work or maybe good things with your kids. You see them doing a couple things. You're going, man, that's exactly what we've wanted for years for them to act that way and to respond that way. Uh, and then maybe even greater, you, you get to work and you find out that there's a raise or maybe this certain thing happens and there's a bonus or this next job opportunity that maybe the next step is like laid out in front of you. And it's like, man, we've kind of been talking about that for four or five years. So just a wonderful day in the Lord. And so think through, um, how do you feel about your success as a Christian living the abundant life that day? Pretty good. The quiet time went well and just very worshipful. My heart was so grateful. And you look at that day at the end of the night and you look back and you go, man, pretty good day. Walking with the Lord, abundant Christian life. Two days later, you wake up and just immediately, you're, you're just crushed with something, uh, some bothering situation on your mind. As soon as you wake up, it's on your mind. It's Maybe it's a relationship or it's family. It's a job problem. It's health. Um, it's kids. It's parents. It's financial. But just, just like 2020 and 2021, so it's just more bad news. You wake up and just wait to hear the bad news. Like, you know, hey, we know this date. There's supposed to be something good going on, but there's more bad news. And so that, that's kind of what happens. And add to it early some practical breakdowns, like maybe the car. Yesterday I got in the van. It's freezing out, coldest day of the year so far. And I get in, and me and Sankey start driving somewhere, and this big brake thing starts blinking. And so I was like, oh, it's the emergency brake, or, you know, the, the, the one brake. So I stop and check it. It's not on. So I start driving, and it blinks off. Oh, okay, it was just cold. Maybe and so then I drive a little further. It starts blinking again. So I'm like, okay, here, here is this going to be six dollars or is this going to be a thousand dollars? And so those things pop in. And so just just something happens with practical breakdowns. Um, add some stress before lunch. Maybe there's particularly uncomfortable confrontation. Maybe a weird text or one of those weird messages that maybe you're reading tonation in a text and there's not really anything there. We're like, what what did they mean by that? Or what was that? Or maybe it's a hardcore confrontation and, and it's a very, very difficult um, conversation that you had. Maybe it's family, maybe it's work, but already no worshipful heart, no time with God, no awe and appreciation. The bad news and changing circumstances has ruled out a lot of that. And on top of that now, at the frustration that your heart's feeling, it leads you to sin. So, so whatever that may be. That may be you just getting alone and taking an exit ramp and just just going into numbing out. That may be you taking an exit ramp and, and sitting down with a, a friend like, can you believe what he did? That's just ridiculous. Now you're starting to slander and gossip and just tearing them apart. It may be just in your heart, just sitting, just all the hatred, just growing inside. So whatever that is for you. Now you've already felt distance from God, like God was absent in all the mess, and now You've gone and sinned in lots of ways, so he's definitely absent and distant and gone. So how do you feel about your abundant life now? How far is God now removed from you? 
And how many days of penance do you feel you must distance yourself before it's okay to go back into the room? Do you see what happens? The deception has led us to these little bitty idols and sin. And now we're basing our relationship with God on those things instead of the reality that you're already in the room. You're in the room. And yes, those circumstances did happen. Yes, these situations. But you're in the room. He created the room. It, it, the room's not falling apart. He, he, he's, provided, he's provided the righteousness. He's provided the holiness. You, you're not forced to sin. Sin doesn't have power over you anymore if you're a believer. So you don't have to take the exit ramps. And so in that, now, the deception doesn't rule. So, so we have these two very typical but very radically different days in a week's time. Uh, the, the, and, and, and from person to person, the choices of sin may be very different from person to person. But, but most of us could probably relate to that and go, yeah, that, that's what happens. That's why I stop having times with God or oh, the times with God are so just dry sometimes. So in the same way that we may have that kind of experience in a week, what um, I think it's, uh, I forget the guy who said it, he calls it from good day, bad day spirituality. In the same way that when we have that in, in one week, I believe the same type of experience can happen for even a year for a lot of people. It can be, it can turn into a good year, bad year spiritual life. And, and man, if there's ever been a time with 2020 and 21, where 2021, and I remember this time last year, you know, January 2nd, it's all going to go good, right? Right? CNN, Fox News, t- tell me everything's going to go right. Everything's going to go good, right? Well, congratulations, it is. And it, but no, the circumstances may still be rotten out there. And so where's God in the middle of that? Um, not that every single day is filled with sin and feelings of no presence of God, but, but, but maybe out of 365, maybe it's 300. And I believe the church is full of that. I believe that that is part of the reason why only 30, 35, 40% of people have made it back to the church. Now, part of that is just it's America, and there's a lot of false belief out there. And that may be rude to you, and you may try to be a, a, you know, an, an optimist and think that, oh, no, they're all, they're all fine. I'm saying that they don't really love God. They made a simple prayer with no cost. And of course, I'd make a decision like, so if I just say this and repeat this thing, like I don't have to face the the consequence of eternal burning. Yeah, I'll do it. But like me ridding my life of sin and following Jesus? Well, no, I don't think I'm so much into that. And so 30 to 40% of the church returned. And so in all that, it can happen for a year. So, in that, here's here in the middle of a day like that, in the middle of situations, here, here, that's our experience. Well, what's God's experience onto us? Think think through from His perspective. Oh, look, you're 40 and you went and soiled yourself again. So immature, but oh, how I love you. You, you think that you're beyond the toddler stage, but yet we we failed, we've sinned, and what does He do? He comes and loves us. Oh, look, you're being all angry and defensive again. How I've lavished love and grace on you for this very reason. I love you so much. Oh, look, you've gone and fixated on self so much that you've numbed out to the people around you and spent most of your time seeking escape and selfish comforts. I love you so much more than you can imagine. Oh, look, you've went back to that screen to try to feel loved and powerful. Your heart is so afraid of being seen as weak. I love you so, so much. 
Or you're stewing in envy and jealousy as you look at them, and it's leading you to gossip and slander that person who they really, truly love you. Oh, how wonderful you are. I love you so much. Think through all the stuff visible to God, what God sees, and yet how he has treated you, what he has done to you. Think through the difference in those two paradigms, the way we view our spiritual life and whether we're in that room and the way God is just lavishing grace and love the whole time. Um, So that should lead us to that last aspect of being determined, seeking faithfulness. And in that, I just have these three areas, these three priorities for seeking faithfulness. The first one is just examination. And I don't think that we're very good at this. So, so, so you may be the list keeper of just, I, I do quiet times. I do quiet times. I'm supposed to do quiet times. But really, you never learn about examination. Um, first, it takes you getting to a place of aloneness with God. And we're not very good at aloneness without distractions. So being alone with, with just in the presence of God, it may be having a couple of worship songs. It may be having your Bible out in front of you. But, but being able to read a little bit, just maybe a few verses, and then just sit and allow the Holy Spirit to, to give some time. And you will see in day one and two and three and four, sometimes you're, you're so used to being distracted, you can't even bear the aloneness. It's an awkward feeling to be alone with God. And we're not a people who handle that without distractions. We're distracted all the time to where something like an eight-second thing called TikTok has captivated most of the globe to where every eight seconds, swipe, 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 I'm not trying to say um, TikTok is the evil thing that's going to crush us. I think our hearts were already prone to something. We love to be distracted by the next trendy, entertaining thing for 10 seconds. And we miss out on the things that are meaningful, that have sustenance. So be mindful of your thoughts, of your heart, of your mind. Notice what your heart and your mind run to. Notice if it's impatience or frustration because you you could be getting so much done, distraction, desires to do something else, anything else actually than being alone with God. That's, That's a great thing to examine. Now, John Owen says, you should even take that right there and just stare at that, the reality that you, you can't even bear just being alone with God, that you're so distracted and you're actually frustrated. Like, why is he wanting this out of me? Well, I mean, he, he thinks he's worthy of it. It helps me to just read a small section of Scripture. It kind of acts as a mirror for the soul. It takes time letting our minds and hearts slow down enough to hear allowing the Holy Spirit to let us recognize sin areas. Slow down. Don't rush past this. The Holy Spirit then brings conviction and confession. And confession is just agreeing with God. I've just read this, and when I hold that up as a mirror, I God, I've got to get in agreement with you that I don't line up with that. I'm in agreement with your holy standard, but even though my life doesn't do this, I'm confessing and agreeing with you, God, that that needs to change. I feel conviction that it's not that way, and I want to align my life. So if you don't take the time for examination, how is there time for true conviction? If we're not a people who can even stand aloneness or examination, then how are we a people that can stand conviction? Almost everything in our life is to avoid feeling convicted or to feel bad about something, right? And then there's repentance, and he brings it. And then just that second thing of confession there, just your response. Um, It's not just a feeling in your head. 
So a lot of times we will do things and we don't confess it out loud. We start thinking and the Holy Spirit starts showing us things and we go in this stare, like internally, like, oh yeah, all that. Oh, oh, that would be bad if that was true of me. I don't like to think of myself that way. What would it be like if you had a, a nine-year-old and you caught him doing these three major things bad and you're like, hey, let's watch the videotape together of you doing these three things and they just kind of sit there at this stare and they just walk off. That, that's not real good confession, is it? That's not, we would be like, that's really kind of disrespectful that I caught you doing that and you see it and you agree with it, but you can't talk about it. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be growth and maturity for them to go, hey, I see what I did there. So that was what we would expect out of an eight-year-old or a four-year-old. What about a 50-year-old who can't do that with God? First of all, I'm not going to leave time for that. I'm not, I don't want to have examination. I don't want to have times of um, conviction and repentance. And I, I don't even know how to confess that. We're not good as a people just confessing those things out loud. Again, it can go back to small group, like, I don't, I don't like this idea of sharing what's really going on in my heart. I like sharing what we should do as Christians. So is it like I'm just listening, out here, here's what we're supposed to be like, or no, really, here's what's going on, if you want to know the truth. And so there's a difficulty there. We're not good at that. If the Holy Spirit has time in your life for conviction and confession and repentance, and you have those things, then, um, then there's this, this part of renewal. Some people hate that so much that they do that two or three days, they forget about the renewal part. This is where beholding Christ, 2 Corinthians 3.18, that, that, that we're, we're looking at Christ and going, with all of that being true, I can rest in the fact that I don't have to pretend, I don't have to hide, I don't have to play peekaboo with you, God, as if you, you don't know what's going on, but I can actually come in all that, my, my sins of past and present and future, that they're forgiven in Christ. This is where we look to Christ in his renewal and rest. And through that, in resting in him, through all those processes, our guilt and shame has been taken on to Christ. And there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So it's not good day, bad day, performance or failure. It's not good year, bad year spirituality because we're looking to him. We're learning a process during the week of, of having time set aside, scheduling that time with him, alone with him for the Holy Spirit, to examine our heart. And here's what I think that we do. I think we like podcasts. I think we like Gospel Coalition articles. I think we like intellectual assent to things that we agree with or like a really, we can talk about this, this is really cool, this is kind of a deep subject, here's what's going on in the culture. And I, God's going, freaking confess, spend some time in repentance you don't have convictions about the, the, the 10 things over here that you're afraid to even look at, but you want to talk about you know, whether black lives matter or whether the vaccination or whether the coronavirus, whether churches should be virtual. You want to talk about those theological arguments, but yeah, you've got these 10 things over here that you haven't let me touch in years. It's because we don't allow. And so there's no growth. There's no transformation. I've just added knowledge points or read someone's book or a paragraph, or we, we want more doctrinal and we're not even in the place of allowing the Spirit to examine our hearts, bring conviction, bring repentance, bring confession, grow us in, in renewal, resting in Christ, not worrying about what people think, pretending, performing, resting. And then that leads to rejoicing. I'm not worried about what these people think of my life. I'm not worried about what the externals look like. 
I'm going, where is my heart with Christ? That, that's where my assurance is. That's where my hope is. And I have a freedom in the room to go, and I blew it again, and yet you're still loving me. Overwhelmed by that truth that all I can bring to the table is, is my sin, and you just continue to pour out grace and wash it away, and pour out grace and wash it away. And that's a beautiful thing. That creates worship. But we go over here and pl- play hide-and-seek and peekaboo as if he doesn't know what's going on at a heart level or we're scared for him to really open up the hood and get to the heart level, transformation and growth can't happen without those elements. So at the first of the year, it's a great time to look at growing faithfulness, and that's what it takes on, or empty idolatry. Um, The idea of choosing today, and here's a little secret that we don't realize. You're already choosing whether you realize it or not. So if you choose to not go into that room with him, you've already chose. You're not going to find him as rewarding, as you, the fullness of joy. You're not going to experience it. You're going to be caught up in little empty idolatry without even meaning it, with, with good intentions and good desires, but not putting yourself in the place to do that. So I'd encourage you to think through. This is a great time to, to think through those things um, I'm not against resolutions. You can have 20 resolutions. I think it'd be great to ask what matters most. And I'm submitting to you today that God would say he matters most. Time with him would be the most glorifying thing for him and the the healthiest thing for us. So as we turn to the Lord's Supper, um, I want to just give you some time to do just what we just talked about. Just give some room and uh, a couple moments for the Holy Spirit to uh, help you to think through that. I would say not just this little time, but also uh, take some time this week, maybe the next two or three days, just saying, hey, Lord, maybe I'm not real good at this examining aspect. Um, w- would you help me with that? So I'm going to give you a few moments just to think through um, where your heart's at with that, and then we'll go into the Lord's Supper. Lord, we thank you.